This is I Don't Care If You Listen Podcast with my mom, Shawnee, and my auntie, Leonica. Hello, lady. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Girl, you know how it is. I know how it is. It's always like that. (laughs) See, and it's a good thing, right? Because if we're not crazy, that means that we're not living exciting lives. But when I look at my life from this Instagram, Facebook picture of how my life is doing it probably is more mundane than most people but I feel like my shit is always like kid work work house house work kid work house husband kid work house kid you know it's like this dance it is it is that is life your hair looks beautiful and then trying to find yourself somewhere in the mix of that and being true and to yourself you. and wanting to be who you are. Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah, I put in like 55 hours this week. Yeah, you've been busy. So we're recording late. Welcome back. I don't care if you listen. This is episode two zero, baby. All right. Bet on it. That's us. Black 20. That's our number. Happy birthday, Mo. Um, But yeah, so. Hey, happy birthday, Mo, Deontay. Happy birthday, Deontay. Episode 20, we're here. It's life trying to happen. This week got away from us. It is now Friday uh, before Christmas weekend. We were at the mall today. Craziness, because that's what a mall should be. However, the stock market is taking big, giant, gigantic, humongous poops. Oh, yeah. Your phone agrees with me. (laughs) Your president is an idiot. Oh, girl. He is scaring everybody, like uh, the Secretary of Defense. General Mattis. Quit. Yep, General Mattis, quit. You and I were supposed to record Wednesday. I had so much to talk to you about on Wednesday. Wednesday, I had so much. now and then, that is like old news. Old news, all of it. Everything that I had to talk to you about is like, that's nothing. You got troops being pulled out of Syria right after the Mike Flynn stuff. It's like... Troops being pulled out of Afghanistan. You've got this whole border wall thing, Leonica. The GoFundMe account, Shalini. Seriously. What, 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 the actual. It's serious. They did it. They are donating. They are. Christians. Well, you know... Christians are donating. Christians. Christian people at Christmas are donating to give money to a wall to keep out refugees of war-torn countries so that they cannot be safe with their children. They want to put up a wall. They're funding a wall at Christmas time. Up way in a manger, no crib for his bed. The little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. The stars in the sky look down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. Girl, they don't feel safe around all that brown skin coming up from the south. <laughs> yeah, because there is no Canadian wall, is there? Huh. No. No, there isn't. There's no thought of a Canadian wall. And he's, he's shutting down the government over the wall. Let's start with the shutdown. They've got till midnight, 11.59 p.m. 
The Democrats whose votes we need in the Senate will probably vote against border security and the wall, even though they know it is desperately needed in all caps. This is from your president 12 hours ago. Yeah, that's that BS. Trump says chances are, yeah, so, I mean, so it's happening. It's going to happen, right? I mean, it's... Yeah, the shutdown's happening. Oh, he's going to throw such a big tantrum. He's such a toddler. Toddler-in-chief. <sighs> How potential government shutdown could affect holiday plans. A partial government, this is according to CNN from one hour ago. A partial government shutdown wouldn't cancel Christmas, but some of the people making things run smoothly ahead of and after the holiday could be affected. A quarter of the federal government is set to close late Friday when funding for nine cabinet departments and smaller agencies expires. That means about 380,000 employees will be placed on furlough. Another another 420,000 will be expected to work without pay. Under this president, work without pay should never be allowed. We know, we may not have seen his tax returns, but we know that people have sued him for work that they did that he did not pay for. Planning to take a plane or train to your holiday destination, the Transportation Security Administration will be on the job to screen passengers. The Federal Aviation Administration air traffic controllers will be directing planes. Amtrak, a federally owned corporation rather than a government agency, will be open. Federal Railroad Administration inspectors will also continue to work. According to the Railroad Administration's shutdown plans, data shows that when inspectors are not visible, less compliance is more likely to occur, which may lead to higher accident slash incident rate. Oh, that's great. So he's literally putting people in danger because he's a baby. Toddler in chief. It's gonna be a real wall, believe me. Toddler in chief. Got a big, fat, beautiful door right in the middle of the wall. Toddler in chief. It has to be something special. Toddler in chief. It's gonna be a real wall, believe me. It's gonna be a real wall, believe me. It's gonna be a real wall, believe me. He does this mostly every time. I'm sure. I'm sure. The trash I don't care if you listen. I don't care if you listen. I don't care if you listen. A podcast with Sean and Liana. Yeah, it's really ridiculous. And he was like, be prepared for a, a shutdown to last for a very long time. Very long, long time. He's just pathetic. And, and it's a damn shame it, that our whole country runs based on this dude. Well, I think at some point people are going to get fed up and start acting oh. out. I don't know what they're going to start at what doing, point? But at what point? I know. Well, you're asking people to go to work and not get paid, right? When the bill collectors are still calling. I mean, <laughs> that's enough right then and there, right? His wife is probably going to walk around wearing a shirt saying, "I don't care." <laughs> so that's all so true. All of that. Well, that's exactly why the general resigned because he ain't having that bullshit. When I get ideas, when I see things that I want to talk to you about, I take a screenshot on my phone. Uh-huh. And I thought about going ahead and sending you the screenshots. But part of what I love about podcasting with you is I love getting your genuine reaction to this shit. <laughs> I don't care if you listen, imagine. but I care if she listens. <laughs> right, right. I am talking to my girl. So... Half of the well, time, what you got for me? Customs and Border Protection paid a firm $13.6 million to hire recruits. It hired two. How much money? This is from NPR. An audit found that as of October 1st, Customs and Border Protection had paid a consulting company 
approximately $13.6 million to recruit and hire 7,500 applicants. But 10 months in, it had only processed two accepted job offers. Wow. I have got to open a consulting company. When I was in radio, consultants were the people who flew into town, pooped on everything, and then flew out. <laughs> Get your company to spend a whole bunch of money on their shit, and yeah. then they're gone. For the, their opinion. Yeah. So I thought that was crazy. And who and where was actually behind that consulting firm? I don't know. If I wanted to go into the rabbit hole right now, I would sit and Google who owned that firm, and then I would see if they had any ties to pig vomit in the White House. Right. But I'm not going to do that right now because I'm not interested. There was an eight-year-old Maryland girl who lost an election by one vote at her school, and she wrote a letter to Hillary Clinton. Oh. Hillary Clinton wrote back, The most important thing is that you fought for what you believed in, and that is always worth it. As you continue to learn and grow in the years ahead, never stop standing up for what is right and seeking opportunities to be a leader. And know that I am cheering you on for a future of great success. Hillary Clinton. Oh, and people are still looking up to her. See, Hillary? When I was on the radio in Fort Wayne, Indiana, mm-hmm. the you know it was the, the primaries between Hillary and Brock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was on a hot AC radio station and Fort Wayne is extremely red and conservative. Like, Yeah, I know. So, Indiana is. Indiana is, right. And that was where I left radio because I had such a misogynistic boss that made things really, really difficult for me. But he went so far as to hire someone to be my co-host who was full on, you know, red, asshole. red, red. Yeah, asshole. That was the time when I got to interview Hillary and, and Michelle Obama. Oh, that's what's up. It was hard because I wanted to say so much and do so much, but I had this guy on the opposite side of the board who wasn't going to let me do and say, wasn't going to give me the time, wasn't going to give me the space, wasn't going to give me the support to go there uh-huh. on either one of those interviews. He was anti both of them. Right? Oh, I'm sure. He was a big Sarah Palin fan. Oh, I had to go to the Sarah Palin rally. Oh, 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 I'm getting sick. It's crazy yeah. because, do you know who Gloria Steinem is? Of course. When I was like 12 or 13, I went to a convention with my parents in Boston. And I actually was in a, in a I, I watched Gloria Steinem speak. And then I was in a hotel room with a bunch of young, like there's a lot of us girls that met with these female leaders and we all just kind of had like this casual chit chat. Gloria Steinem was in that room. Between that being able to interview Hillary and talking to Michelle, sometimes I feel like I had these opportunities and I wasn't able to make it like take it to the next level, you know? You know what? I had them. They were right here. Like I had every opportunity to ask them questions that would make me memorable or be with them and stay in a way that I would always stay connected. But I never did it. Like, why didn't I do that? Why did I suck in that moment? Why was I such a I was going to say pussy in <laughs> that moment. <laughs> like, I should have told the dude, I wish I would have just told the dude, like, this is my time, sit back. But I, I, I didn't. I couldn't. He wasn't, it wasn't going to go there. He was running the board. He could shut my mic off at any minute. Like, that's just, you know, how it went. Yeah. 
Exactly. And then after the misogynistic pig didn't work out, and that was during the time where we got to go to see Barack Obama a lot. We got to go see him speak at a rally, at the rally in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Then we got to interview Michelle Obama. Then we got to interview Hillary Clinton. And then we went to the Sarah Palin rally. You know, we, we would box on the air and, like, you know, we would get in, I would get in trouble over political stuff. But it was so right wing, I couldn't not use my microphone to say something. And that was the year of PS that the state did go blue, by the way. Clearly, I wasn't, you know, the only one. But no. it was hell. And that was when I decided to leave radio. The Hillary Clinton and Michelle Obama stuff, like the, my interviews with them, I love their, those interviews. But sometimes they're hard to listen to because I know how much it was holding back. <laughs> Michelle Obama, Mrs. Obama, and I'm sure you just don't always want to be Mrs. Obama. You'd like to be Michelle Obama as well. Or Michelle. Or Michelle. Or Michelle. (laughs) Barack Obama was here. We went to go hear him speak, and I got to be honest, uh, I got chills. I have got to ask you this. How did he propose? Please tell me he was super romantic, because I want to hear a really romantic story. He got on his knee, and that was it. Yeah, he was pretty romantic, (laughs) because uh, we went out to dinner. He had just finished taking the bar exam. And he took me out under the, the guise of this was to celebrate that. And he had already talked to my family and everything. And, oh, how cute. You know, so we were having a nice dinner. And then he got me sort of going because he was talking about, like, these guys tend to talk, oh, marriage, who needs marriage? He was getting me on that conversation. It's not necessary. What? And, <laughs> and I started getting all worked up. It's like, what do you mean? Blah, blah, blah. So I was really arguing with him. Right. And, you know, he had given the ring to the waiter and he brought it out. Um, on my dessert tray. Was this in Chicago? This was in Chicago, yeah. Where? What restaurant? It's this place. It's no longer there. It was called Gordon's, and now it's uh, Naha. That's Uh, so cute. I I really wanted to ask you this, because I think that fathers with daughters are great, because they have a different... My father, I'm an only child. A lot of people probably get sick of me being the daddy's little girl, but I am daddy's little girl to the end, okay? Amen. Okay. You see, you understand... Yes. I know that I have gotten my dad to let me paint his toenails. I know that I have gotten my dad to play tea party with me. I know that I've gotten my dad to uh, do some crazy things. What's your favorite daddy's little girl moment? Oh, they get him to play charades and act like a duck. <laughs> act like a duck! Yeah. Oh. It's funny. It's hilarious. <laughs> that I'd love to see. Senator Clinton, this is Shelly here. Hello. Thanks for joining us again. And I want to tell you, I've watched your daughter, Chelsea, uh, in a couple of interviews where she's gone to different universities talking. She handles herself so beautifully and with so much class. She did say at one point that she thought that you would be a better president Mm. than her father. What do you have to say about that? Because that's something that's a huge thing to say. Everybody, I'm sure you get tired of always hearing about what Bill Clinton did. But at the same time, I'd love to hear your response to that. Well, you know, the reason that she said that. Uh, is because we all learn from experience. Uh, My husband did a wonderful job on the economy and getting us to a balanced budget and a surplus and taking on some uh, some really tough issues uh, like reforming welfare. But the fact is that he'd be the first to tell you if he were talking to you that, you know, you get into the White House, there is so much to learn. It is the most high-pressure cooker atmosphere that you've ever been in. And the fact that I've been there, I've done a lot um, to help him and to try to solve problems means that I'm going to be able to more quickly start making the changes we have to make. Because the fact is, this is the toughest job in the world. 
and we've got to have somebody who can start on day one. And I think in that regard, uh, what Chelsea really is talking about is that, you know, having been through this, I, I know a lot about how we have to move quickly to begin to make the changes that Americans desperately are looking for. Yeah, you've learned. Okay. I feel like as the woman on the show, I do need to ask you a very female-oriented question simply because you're going to make history. You've already made history. And I've been told a time or two in the radio world that females are tougher on females, that women listeners or constituents are more judgmental of women. Do you think it's true, or do you think that something like that has affected your campaign or will affect your campaign? You know, Shelley, that's a good question. I, I think that um, obviously it's hard to generalize because we're all individuals, um, but anytime someone attempts something new, uh, like I'll be going out to the Speedway later today to you know, meet with some of the women drivers. Uh, Sarah Fisher's endorsed me, and I I'm going to be, you know, talking to them because they're breaking new ground. They're making history themselves. Annika Patrick, you know, just won the first race ever as a woman. I think when something like this happens, you know, all of us hold our breath, and everybody's a little bit more uh, concerned. And and maybe it comes across as being more critical uh, because it's never been done before. But, you know, I have found that – when I made my two races in New York, and Scott may remember this, a lot of people said, oh, you know, she'll never win. Yep. She'll never be able to, you know, get women to vote for and all the rest of that. And you did. But at the end of the day, people make um, a, a, a judgment about what they think is right, what they think is best for them and their families. Uh, and it all kind of comes out in the end. And I feel really, I feel really good about the deep and broad support uh, that I have from women and men here in Indiana. Can I say you go, girl? Is that disrespectful? Oh, no. i, I got to tell you this cute story. <laughs> I started the campaign here March 20th. We landed in Terre Haute. That's where Evan Bayh was born. And we were driving in from the airport. We went by a nursing home, and all of the nursing home residents had been brought outside. They were sitting mostly in wheelchairs with blankets over their laps. And so I said, we got to stop. We've got to stop. So we stopped the cars, and I got out, and I was shaking hands. And the people working at the nursing home came and said, there's a woman here whose birthday, she's 100 years old today. Wow. So please go and have her picture with her. I said, great. So I walked over. She introduced herself. She was very bright. And her name was Josephine. And she had a cookie sheet on her lap. So I was shaking hands. And I said, well, Josephine, happy birthday. And she said, I have only one thing to say to you. She lifted up the cookie sheet. Paste on the cookie sheet was a piece of paper which said, you go, girl. You go, girl. <laughs> you go, girl. It was, so, it was so terrific, and I just loved it. So you sure can say that. That's, That's awesome. I, you know what? That means a lot to me personally. I think that means a lot to a lot of uh, women voters right here in Fort Wayne. And again, you go, girl. I don't care if you listen. I don't care if you listen. I don't care if you listen. You listen. A podcast with Shalini and Leonica. Those are moments that you never forget. I had the privilege of actually sitting on a dais with Rosa Parks mm. and Megger Evers' wife, Beverly Evers. Wow. Yeah. That's intense. Like, yeah. I was really deep into the NAACP. So I've met Jesse Jackson. And it was so weird because I'm reading Michelle's book and she's talking about going to political rallies with Jesse Jackson's family. And I remember being, and you just talked about going to Boston and having this really great, you know, this the moment memorable. with Gloria Steinem that I should have like, and I even was the person, I was the person who took down everybody's name. 
by the way. Wow. Well, see, I went to Boston and, and went to one of Jesse Jackson's rallies way back in like 1989 when they were like up with hope and down with dope way back then. So we have been in the presence of greatness. Yeah, And for don't sure. feel bad. I didn't do anything either. I just looked. If 42-year-old me could talk to who I was back then, I would be like in an earpiece saying, hey, do this, do this, and do that. Don't do this this time. Go left instead. Girl, yeah, I gotta mute Michelle. Yeah. Like, we gotta sit down and kick it. I'm not talking about I'm paying to hear her talk. Like, we need to sit down. Me, you, her, and Oprah. <laughs> if I could change the world, Girl, I would be the sunlight in your universe. That's all I could think of when you said that. Sorry. I just, I can imagine we could literally change the world. Girl, yeah, we need to talk shop. And we've had those opportunities before, so I have no doubt in my mind that many more will come. crazy week there was training they had this building a inclusive environment in the workplace training on tuesday that took half the day that went really well that's the type of consultant i want to be and i was thinking man you could fly all over the place helping people learn about being inclusive and managing diversity i'm all about it and i think people don't even realize when they're not doing it they don't like they've been so focused on diversity and equality that they don't even realize that this is not an inclusive nation that is welcoming to others at all the podcast that you mentioned for me to listen to um the reason i bring that up is two dope girls yeah they had michelle obama on and the reason that i'm gonna tie this up with the inclusiveness thing is it really struck me when michelle said Michelle. You see, after this book and after these interviews, everybody keeps calling her Michelle. Or Mish. That's her nickname. That's what she's saying. Right. Mish. Right. <laughs> when Mish. P.S. Two Dope Girls. Shout out. Not sure if you'll ever listen. But if you do, great podcast. She said she learned from Barack about not being reactive to things. Because as a woman, we just don't get that license. Mm -mm. Especially as a minority woman, forget it. Mm-hmm. As a black man, there was no way Barack Obama could fly off the handle, get angry, get frustrated. With Hillary, my issue was that people always talked about how she said something. Did you see her face when she said that? Did you see how she looked when she said that? Who cares how she said it? Listen to the message. And that's what Michelle was saying in her, in her podcast, in the interview. She was saying that, we don't get that. And when you talk about being inclusive and diverse in your workplace, you have to give everybody an open space to be who they are without being dismissive of other people's, you know, fears and angst, but somehow understand that your fears and angst sometimes are not only not justified, they're straight up racist and bigoted and sexist. There you go. Very, very true. And, and yeah, that's, we feel it. And she 
she told it very well yeah. too. But what pisses me off about that show and what's been bothering me all week is I was getting ready for the podcast on Wednesday too. And so Sunday I was watching um, my little political show that I watch and I was looking at Trump speak and watching his facial expressions and his body language. And I was like, oh my God, this man is so animated. He's so forceful. He's, he just, he's so overconfident. And I was like, you know what? He, he probably communicates a lot like me. And that's probably how people think that I come off. Why is it okay that he gets to do that and I can't? Well, it's not just okay. It's that's why people even voted for him is because of that. It's not just that it's okay. It's people appreciate that in him, and they don't appreciate that in you or me. Definitely not you. Girl. And, and that's as close to a comparison that I will ever make of myself to him. But in terms of communicating, I was taught to speak very loud, project my voice. I was taught I shouldn't need a microphone to talk to a room of a thousand. I should be able to project my voice and be able to command it. To be a leader, to do those things which I watch him do. Come on, people. Y'all said so many double standards. I mean, it's just pathetic. And yeah, if Barack did that, girl, Barack would have been locked up in... <laughs> they didn't escorted him out. Girl, escorted him out? Oh my God, if he would have even made a face like that man makes. Can you imagine if he would have said about a war hero like John McCain, about <clears throat> liking dudes <throat> that don't get captured? Can you imagine if Barack <clears throat> Obama would have said that? It really, it really hit me when Michelle said that, you know, she had to learn composure from him we talked about that on the last podcast how i wish i could sometimes just talk the way i talk and express the way i express and people not think that i'm being so i have to like reconfigure my personality to make sure that it you know like uh, and that's so fucked up because nobody else has to do that like i'm like okay yeah i agree i'm all down for that learning and changing and being adaptable and you know planning, for speaking to my audience, all that stuff. But come on, I should not have to. I mean, it's like giving myself a perm. Right. When I give myself a perm, I change the chemical composition of my hair. Why should I have to change the chemical composition of my hair to impress somebody, to be relevant? To, to be, be anything for anybody else. <laughs> right. So this is how I express myself. There are lots of people who express themselves like me. There's a difference between chaos and danger. You know what I mean? People act like just because you talk loud or you can talk over each other that you're going to do something bad. So a lot of people are uncomfortable in that situation, but that doesn't mean that you're going to get attacked. Even if I'm calling you out of your name and cussing and all that stuff doesn't mean I'm necessarily going to attack. I know friends and relatives and siblings who talk to each other like that and mean it in the kindest way and nobody ever gets their feelings hurt. I don't care if you listen. I don't care if you listen. I don't care if you listen. The podcast with Shalini and Yamaka. I'm just going to rifle through these and then you can tell me what you want to talk about, okay? Okay, go ahead. Putin applauds Trump's Syria withdrawal, says I agree with him. Uh, the U.S. exit is seen as a betrayal of the Kurds and a boon for ISIS. Uh, Pennsylvania students sent racist letters to families signed Donald and his crew. 
That's not funny at all. Did you hear about the Did wrestling coach that made the student cut the, black the dreads student? off? Girl, <laughs> Trump's America. Girl, do you know if that was my child, it would never go down that way. An Ohio man trying to cash his paycheck from a new job was handcuffed after a bank teller called 911 on the false belief the check was fraudulent. <laughs> the Senate unanimously voted to make lynching a federal crime in 2018. Yeah, how about that? A tunnel running from Mexico to the U.S. was discovered at border control. Say that one more time. There's a tunnel running from Mexico to the U.S. It was discovered by border control. There was a wall discovered? No, no, no. No. It was a tunnel. Oh, okay. Oh, boy. I'm not sure what a wall is going to do for the tunnel situation, but maybe that's like the next $7 billion. Maybe they get a GoFundMe. Maybe they need two GoFundMes for that one. There's a GoFundMe account now for ladders to give people to give them for the wall. I'm donating. <laughs> I am going to donate. I appreciate that. Yes. We can do that for a lot cheaper than they can build their damn wall. <laughs> oh, people are crazy. But yeah, I'm going to donate to that. I'm going to find that one. Border agents have thrown out 3,586 jugs of water left for migrants in the desert. They did this knowing that 7,000 migrants have died attempting to cross. This is why the death of Jacqueline Call, the seven-year-old migrant who died of thirst in U.S. custody, should be referred to as murder. Precious resource. Speaking of which, um, yeah, water being a precious, extremely precious resource. There's this thing on Netflix from Vox. They have a show called Explained, and it talks about water and how we're running out, and we're using it in such ways that we're going to run out. There's no way we're going to have enough drinking water to support the people on the planet. It was fascinating. I mean, heartbreaking and fascinating all at the same time, obviously. If you have a chance, check it out. Shalini. Michigan is the Great Lakes state. I, I know. I know. We are a peninsula. I know. I know. Surrounded by fresh water. Fresh water. I know. And we have kids in Flint. Preach. are getting poisoned from the water by the lead. There are cities, townships whose well water is being poisoned. They ordered all this Scotch Guard stuff and then dumped it in the ground and it seeped through to people's wells. And now the PFA levels are high as all get out. But that stuff is happening all over the state. It's Allegan County. It's up in Rockford, Flint. I'm I'm scared. I'm scared to drink bottled water. Yeah. I I have to learn how to. <laughs> I'm scared to drink bottled water. How do I know they're not gonna bottle some poison? You don't. Or Nestle gets their water from here in Michigan. Are they testing for PFAS? You can't see them. You can't smell them. The water situation is really dire. And they're pouring out good water. Water is a dire commodity. We got Donald Trump doing what he's doing. He is the only, he made it so that the U.S. stepped out of the climate agreements that were made. Yeah, 
Bill Gates was <laughs> he was on that same show later on that day. Which one? I watched the local Fox News. The local oh. Fox News is more interesting here, and then it just comes on, so I watch it before you know. I just see what they're talking about, and I I, I really don't. I can't. With this Fox particular News. reporter, though, <laughs> Chris Wallace. Oh yeah. He asks hard questions, and I, and I like it. It really surprises me that he works for that network. And it's so funny to see him talk to Trump and the way Trump just. No, but you know what? I've seen, I've, I saw his interview with Chris Wallace. And then I saw him on Stephen Colbert afterwards. And Stephen Colbert was like, how do you sit across from him and not say to him, what are you thinking? How are you, you know, like, how do you not call him out? Chris Wallace. Yeah, he doesn't call him out enough. That guy's a jellyfish. He's so cute. He just squirms. (laughs) He's so cute. He's a jellyfish. Oh, my goodness. She is making pet names for Fox News correspondents, Lord. 2018 was the worst year on record for violence against journalists. The hatred of journalists that is voiced and sometimes very openly proclaimed by unscrupulous politicians, religious leaders, and businessmen has tragic consequences. Well, you know, there is a lot of bad journalism. I mean, some of the paparazzi and all that. But that's not journalism, is it? You, Some of them have degrees in journalism, <laughs> the whole thing. I don't know. I guess journalism to me is when you're exposing things that are affecting large groups of people. If you're somebody who's, you know, talking about a hurricane that's coming and it's going to damage a certain area, like that, you have to cover that as a service to the people. When world leaders are coming to a country to talk to your world leader, to your country's leader, we need somebody to tell us what was talked about. We can't be there. We need somebody to tell us what's going on so that we know who to vote for and who not to vote for. Because otherwise, how are we going to know what they're doing? That's what journalism is to me. Like, if it affects the greater good or the greater welfare, then at least somebody needs to be responsible for giving us that news uncut and objectively and responsibly. And it just, I don't even know... If we considered the paparazzi shit journalism, then I don't really know where we're at. That's crazy. I don't trust any of them. I know you can't. You can't. At the same time, like somebody, we gotta. I don't want to buy into that culture of we can't trust the media. That's some like Nixon stuff. Mm-hmm. Nixon said, did that whole you can't trust the media, you can't trust the media thing. That's uh, a lot of people that do that because the media is used to spread propaganda and hate. But I mean, and- at a certain point, Lee, like I got it. Like there was a, a radio DJ who kept a guy on the line for forty minutes who was suicidal. You know what I mean? Like, to a certain degree, there's got to be something. I did radio for a long enough time, and the thing that I loved about it was the people in the community that I got to, like, build relationships with. Like, there's still something to be said for being responsible to your local, to your group of people around you, you know, and to carry a message to them. And if that's journalism in some sense, right? Like, don't you have to, like, Tell well, people, people what's going on. But don't you have to tell people, like, if some if they're in danger, don't you have to tell people? Don't you think that people... You would hope, but do they always? No, they... I mean, come on, look at Flint. What Aren't about you it? supposed to tell people when they're in danger? They made decisions that they... And they knew. They had information. 
the media had information and didn't expose it, you're saying, right? Possibly. I mean, if they're on the take, shoot, why not? If if Donald Trump can pay off, you know, Playboy models because the National Enquirer, and can have the National Enquirer buy those stories so that they don't get published, then sure. Why couldn't somebody buy the Flint stories and say, here's an X amount of dollars, don't tell people that the pipes are dirty and that people are going to get sick? Sure. Uh, well, see, even the National Enquirer, though, is that journalism, man? Because that, to me, that's no, popular. Exactly. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's if anything can be on the take, then anything can be on the take. Like, anything can be on the take is what I guess I'm getting at. We have totally, like, switched sides and traded roles and stuff where, like, I have no optimism. I'm sorry. It's still shit going on at MSU that more and more was covered up from that Nasser scandal. But my thing is, is we can't become a culture of not trusting the media at all. But it's the media that exposes stuff like that, too. So the good journalists. I'm telling you, I don't think that people go into news reporting. I mean, now, you know, actually, I take it. Now, I think people go into news reporting to be movie stars and Instagram stars. But I think there was a time, and there still are a few reporters and journalists that I think really go into it with wanting to expose shit. I hope. I so, but... Because it's shit that needs to be exposed. Right. I mean, and shit is being exposed now. And it's almost too I much exposure Institutions and systems and leaders are starting to take heed because, you know, you're right. It, it may be, it, it's not the journalists that I'm suspicious of. It's the money. It's the you're suspicious of the money, the people that own them. You're suspicious of the institution. Yeah. They can portray whatever i mean i anybody can buy 30 seconds yep exactly and now it's platforms where you don't even need money because the russians just make fake social media accounts one of the things i wanted to cover with you is this little tidbit this is a senate report more than 30 million users shared russian facebook and instagram posts between 2015 and 2017 i'll read that again a senate report issued said that more than 30 million users shared Russian Facebook and Instagram posts between 2015 and 2017. They really took nationalism to another level. Yep. Because they attacked both the left and the right. Yep. So any way it went, their candidate, the Manchurian candidate, was going to win. It's real messed up. It, it makes me feel bad because I remember reading so many Facebook posts from black nationalists, so-called black nationalists, you know, the far extremists, black extremists, they might call themselves that too. But they were saying, don't vote. The system's rigged. It doesn't matter anyway. The candidate who they want to win is always going to win don't waste your time you know but then they're going over here and they're saying hey all those black nationalists are getting ready to vote and they're going to take over the country and if you don't get to the polls white folks that's exactly right you're going to lose your country those were russian posts a lot of those were russian posts yeah they and and people bought it yeah and they thought it came from them that it was their ideas, their thoughts. Were, it was just being planted. These ideas, these thoughts to, to rig you up so black people, you don't go to the polls, and white people, you run. Because 
fear, panic, anger, and resentment. White fear and panic, black anger and resentment. 30 million, more than 30 million users shared Russian Facebook and Instagram posts between 2015 and 2017. That's a lot of people. I don't care if you listen. I don't care if you listen. I don't care if you listen. The podcast with Shalini and Yamaha. Listen to this. The 17 known Trump and Russia investigations. There's 17 of them. At least this was as of last week. They closed down his New York foundation. Yeah, he had to close it because of the, they were finding suspicious activity in his charity department. <laughs> mm-hmm. These are his his investigations. This is as of like I said before Wednesday. I don't know if there's more today. He's got an an emoluments lawsuit going on. The Trump Foundation, which we know he shut down, a tax case, Turkish influence case, Elena. Alexeyevna Kushyanova, uh, the Maria Butina and the NRA issue, foreign lobbying. He's got the Trump Super PAC funding issue, inauguration funding, campaign conspiracy, and the Trump Organization's finances, obstruction of justice, other campaign and transition contacts with Russia, Trump Tower Moscow Project, Paul Manafort's activity, Middle Eastern influence, WikiLeaks, the Russian government's election attack. (laughs) WikiLeaks. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah, it does not surprise me. Right now, the color change has a petition against Facebook. Yeah, tell me uh, about that, because I'm curious about that. Why? Um. Well, it says Facebook has failed us. They have censored the black activists, sold our private data, and allowed white supremacists to continue spreading hate on their platforms. Sign our demands that they address racism on their platform, release all information on voter suppression attempts, and fire directors who have been secretly working to smear activists working to hold them accountable. So apparently, a damning new report from New York Times revealed that Facebook executive Joe Kaplan is leading a smear campaign targeting the color of change community. Facebook has been seeding right-wing hit pieces and anti-Semitic conspiracy theories in response to our efforts to ensure the safety of black users on the platform. Kaplan hired a Republican public relations firm for the express purposes of undermining the color change and the other organizations who have held them publicly accountable for their harmful practices. So... They want him to immediately fire Joel Kaplan for his role in leading a racist and anti-Semitic smear campaign, ensure the safety of black users by demanding protections for black leaders doxxed by white supremacists on Facebook, and create a transparent and just moderation policies. And finally, to put it in a racially targeted digital voter suppression. What say you? I don't know. I got to look into it a little bit more, especially this Joel Kaplan and find out what exactly it was that he's, he's done before I sign it, but it's been popping up. That's where, okay. They talk about the, the banking while black. <laughs> and you know what? That's true because I think I was just talking about that a situation at work where I, um, a couple of us have had problems cashing the petty cash checks for, certain account. I talked to another co-worker who isn't in my demographic. She's older and... and she doesn't brand. have an issue? 
doesn't have any issues. Mm-mm-mm. So, um, I just signed up for color of changes stuff. They're a great source of information. That's where I learned a lot about, um, Santonia Brown and Santoya. Yeah. And um, her governor just, he just gave clemency to like all these different people in Tennessee, but didn't include her. <gasps> yeah, for real. They want people to contact him and, you know, send emails, send mail. Bill Haslam, yep. William Edward Haslam, an American businessman and politician serving as the 49th and current governor of Tennessee since 2011. He's the guy we got to get in touch with and be like, yo, Centoya Brown, let her go. Come on. This is what I think. Anne Frank, stuck in an attic during the Holocaust. And some of her last words were, I still believe after everything that people are truly good at heart and you somewhere have to think to yourself that simple math must show that most of us are good people (laughs) like we have good intentions otherwise we wouldn't have made it this far in humanity would we have like but then maybe we're not making it far because we actually are destroying the planet and kind of had donald trump's president so i don't know from a journalist standpoint I don't think I would be looking at it that way. If you were in Anne Frank's situation? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. So is that what I'm supposed to believe? That people aren't really good at heart? And that that anybody... Some are, some are. So do you you think any journalist, do you think any journalist that exists in the world would take money to tell an untruth? No way. No way. There's no way. Their mamas, there's a lot of them who are still afraid of their mothers. No way. There are some who still believe in the truth. I hope so. You know? I hope so. It might be three. It needs to be a lot. (laughs) But they're talking. We hear them. They're speaking. They're tweeting. They're posting. They're reporting. And they're making sure that they let people know. You know, we talked about April Ryan a couple weeks ago and how she said, Mm-mm, he wants me to leave, but there is no way I'm backing down because then he'll be able to do whatever he wants. Yeah. There are some people who truly believe in journalism and if she knows it, people like her, they know it's greater than them. You know, their ancestors have died, have fought blood, sweat, tears. Just so, we could, just so we could go to school in this country, let alone be a journalist exactly just so we could learn how to read in this country let alone be a journalist and ask the president questions or ask the press secretary questions about where the country is going exactly there's so much stuff lee there's so much stuff i mean i have to wrap up with time but there's just so much stuff mike flynn and you know his thing being delayed and that was crazy i thought we were going to get a chance to really talk about that too because Whoa, we're not going to sentence you? Chris thought it was kind of bad that the judge scolded him like that because he thought that it would send a message to other people who want to cooperate with the government that they, you know, might get that whole, I'm going to hang your future in front of your face and dangle it in front of you type of attitude. You know what? But then I'm also going to give you an option for a couple more months of freedom. So you decide what you want to do. You want me to send you now or you want me to send you later? Right. And basically, you know, calling him out and said you sold your country out. I just I just needed to know that somebody told him that to his face. The American people needed to know that. However, (laughs) the judge is a Trump guy. 
Of course. So I don't know if there's a little gamey game going on here because withdrawing from Syria came right after the Flynn thing. I don't know if there's any funky business going on there, but I don't put it past them. That whole Russian deal was about us getting out of Syria. Yeah. Russia's been trying to get their grips on Syria since the 70s, the 80s, the cold, you know, since I was a little girl learning about the world. Yeah. They've been trying to get there. It's always, we've been providing guns to Iraq and Afghanistan, and they've been providing guns over there in Syria, and I think they might have gave the Iraqis the guns, matter of fact. I, I can't keep track. We give somebody some guns in the Middle East. They're our allies. They give somebody some guns in the Middle East. They're their allies. You know, that was the Cold War. We're not fighting, but we're going to arm people strategically exactly. so that, that they can take care of our best interests. Right. And, and yeah, if, if you do this, we'll, we will give you a great deal on your, this <laughs> land so you can build your new towers <laughs> because that's all you want anyway is your name somewhere all over this world. I mean, and then you think back, again, that handshake. Oh, between like, Putin and the prince. They talked about what was going down. Putin told the prince, and that's why the prince was like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's all related. That's why they're talking so much about that damn business deal. The Moscow deal that was going to be funded by a Russian bank. Yeah, and that bank was funding it because Trump is getting ready to do, well, lift Trump sanctions. getting ready to do all that he's doing. Lift the sanctions and everything else, yeah. Yeah, this is, this is it's, chess. It's chess, and it's treasonous chess if the president cared at all about his own country instead of his own pockets and his family's pockets. Van Jones was awfully excited about, and a lot of people excited about the Senate passing a prison sentencing reform bill aimed at easing sentences for nonviolent offenders. President Trump, President Trump, exactly, is going to sign it this week. So everybody's kind of giving him high fives and on that. I'm like, nope, he's a, that's all distraction. Mm -hmm. That's a distraction. Total distraction. Look at the left hand, not my right. Right. (laughs) Slide a hand. <laughs> what what cup is the bean under? Girl, what card do you see? Yep. Smoke and mirrors. Smoke, Smoke and, and mirrors. mirrors. For sure. There's so much we could go on and on, but we gotta go. We gotta go. Check out time. Right? We gotta go. <laughs> well, Merry Christmas to you if you celebrate Christmas. Happy holidays. Yes, enjoy. Merry Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy everything, everybody. Enjoy whatever you do. (laughs) My kiddo's birthday is on Christmas Eve. Happy birthday, Che, baby. I love you more than anything in the world. In the world. It's checkout time. Gotta go. Gotta go. Gotta go. Y'all know what time they labeled me an outlaw, so it's time for the panty rape. My fantasies came true.